Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. I didn't give the first service this preface, but I'm going to give it to you. this message doesn't grab you this morning. You really need to look at your spiritual condition. Because as we look at this message today, the last message to the seventh church of Asia Minor that we see in Revelation, as we have been looking at Christ's church, the dearest place on earth, and we have seen the Lord's bold admonitions to His church, this one is probably, in my opinion, the most disturbing of all of them. We're going to see why it's disturbing as we uncover the truth from this text. It's most troubling in my opinion because we're going to see a so-called church, and I do parenthesize that statement. We're going to see a so-called church who has become very indifferent to Christ, and they have become independent of Christ, and they have as we will see, isolated Christ from their midst. There were really no church at all any longer. As we have seen in these letters, Christ would begin many of them with commendation to the church to tell them at first, here are the things that you're doing well. This is where you are hitting the mark. Only to come back and to say, but in this area, you are not hitting the mark. He has no commendation at all to Laodicea. He has nothing good to say about them, though that they would say many good things about themselves. Pay attention to that, American church. This letter is very disturbing because as we read it, if we were to take Laodicea out from it and replace it with the term American church, would see as a whole that it describes much of what is going on in our modern evangelical culture. So I want us to pay close attention to this particular church today who he only has rebuke and correction, a call of repentance to. I want us to pay attention to this. Uh, John Owen said this in a book called Spiritual Mindedness. He said this in regard to the topic of being lukewarm. He said, Christ pities His people in their temptations. Is anyone thankful that Christ pities us in our temptations? That He, like us, was tempted in all things but did not sin. And He knows what it's like when we are tempted and He pities us. Owen goes on to say this. Christ pities His people in their temptations. He suffers with them in their persecution." Aren't you thankful that Christ did suffer first? So that anything that we could actually suffer in would be small in comparison to what Christ has already suffered for us. He said Christ suffers with them in their persecutions. He strengthens them in their weaknesses. Thank you, Lord, that you strengthen us in our weaknesses. 
But Owen goes on to say this, and I want to pay close attention to this today. But threatens them when they allow their love for him and for spiritual things to become lukewarm. We will see how true this is as we read this text today, where Christ has no commendation for this church, but yet he threatens them. He threatens them with words that ought to grip each and every one of us this morning. As we read this text in Revelation 3, verse 14, we're going to see those words. Verse 14 says this to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, Christ describing himself for us. He said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. He says, I would rather you be a total pagan idol worshiper than to be lukewarm, a form of Christianity with no true Christianity involved in it at all, just going through the motions. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and this has great significance, as we will see in a moment, to Laodicea. He says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You have heard that in error for so long that it's going to seem strange and what we see that Jesus is saying today. But please pay close attention to the text. We see Christ speaking out against a church that is lukewarm, verifying that this is no true church at all. I want us to notice this as we cover the background in, in the intro to this for just a moment. Christ in all of these letters uses certain titles for himself. He, he doesn't change the pattern here. I want us to understand this letter comes from Christ to the church. And for all of us who have ears, we must hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We see this letter from Christ as we begin this section. He says, the Amen. What a description of Christ, the Amen. And that means this, so be it. He says, I am the so be it. This means that Christ is the final word. What Christ says, Christ means. What Christ says, goes. Just as Christ at creation would have said, Logos, the word of God, let there be light. And there was light. He says, I am that Christ. I am the one who when I speak, the angels listen. The mountains move. The earth, it trembles. So when Christ speaks against the church here at Laodicea, he's letting them know 
that I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. If you don't repent, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He lets them know this right off the bat, who he is. I am the amen. He goes on to describe himself as the faithful and true witness. Witness, faithful and true. He speaks the very truth and the blessed promises of God. He will keep all that he promises. Even if he promises judgment and wrath. So many people are hip on the fact that God keeps his promises when it's something good. Did you know he keeps his promises no matter what? If he promises certain judgment on those who do not repent, they will receive certain judgment without exception. He says, I'm that Savior, the faithful and the true witness. The amen. The title, faithful and true witness, speaks so much here to the Laodicean church because they were neither of the two. Neither faithful nor true witnesses as we will discover They were a church of unbelievers, which is no church at all. Jesus in this title also points to the fact of how accurate he is when he speaks. His analysis of this particular church, his analysis of Key Life Fellowship, is 100% accurate and correct. He's saying to this church, you have no grounds for any kind of substantive rebuttal, or any words that are going to change what I have already stated. I'm correct. I am right when you are wrong. And why is that important for us to know going into this lesson? Because some of you today are going to hear from the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's going to reveal to you that you are not truly saved, that you are not a true believer, that you've never repented of your sin, you have never turned to Christ. Oh, you have church. You might have even filled out a membership card. But you're far from Christ. He's speaking to this church to let them know that when I speak, I speak 100% accurately. He goes on and says, not only is he the amen, the faithful and true witness, he says, I'm the ruler of God's creation. He lets them know I'm sovereign over all, and creator of all. And you really don't want to have a showdown with me. Please understand, I know this is in opposition to the weak mild-mannered Jesus of the American way of thinking. This is Jesus coming with full force. He says, I'm sovereign over all. all. I am the Lord of everything. I am the one. But you see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He said, I want supremacy in everything because I deserve supremacy in everything. Does he not? Why would he not be supreme in Laodicea? He demands it. Can I tell Key Life Fellowship this? He demands supremacy here in Key Life Fellowship in 2023. Because he is supreme. That is who he is. So we see him addressing this church, Christ himself, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, sovereign over all. And he's addressing a place known as Laodicea, as you can tell. And it's named after a woman who is referred to as Laodice to many Southerners, but it is actually 
Laodiki. And she is or was the wife of Antiochus II, who was the Seleucid king during the Hellenistic period between Alexander Great and the Roman Empire. I know, boring, right? Good stuff, because historically we can put this church where it belongs. This actual city was founded in the middle of the 3rd century B.C., just 100 miles east of Ephesus and about 50 miles south of Philadelphia. So you can see as we follow a map that we have made so that you can understand it, this circle back to where almost that we had begun in our journey through the seven churches of Asia Minor. And it was, of course, as many of these towns were, located on a major trade route. And it was located on a major trade route because it was a city that was flourishing. They were flourishing in trade, they were flourishing in finance. And somewhere in this city, this major hub of trade, riches as the world defines them, it was a church. And this church, of course, as we see many of these churches were, were Pauline in their influence, meaning this, that they were somehow influenced by the missionary work of the Apostle Paul and or his companions. Uh, many scholars believe this, uh, that this church was actually started or founded by Epaphras, who was a, com- a companion of Paul. And we see Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4. Many believe that that Epaphras that we see there was actually that same man who founded the church at Laodicea. So similar to most of these churches, as I said, there was the influence of Paul and companions of Paul, such as Epaphras. Many also believe that at the time of this writing, that the pastor there would have been a man by the name of Archippus. And this man named Archippus, you see him in the book of Philemon. He is actually the son of Philemon. So if you've ever studied Paul's writing to Philemon, and you see the son of Philemon there, that son, Archippus, was known to be at one time the pastor of this church here in Laodicea. We see him there mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. I say these things again to remind you this is a real place. And a real place in time. Point in history. And what I fear, what I don't want to see, is history repeat itself here. I, as your pastor, don't want to ever see you in the condition that we see this church in. So we look at it from a historical vantage point to say this, it once was a thriving church that is no more. Nothing but ruins and rubble. The city at the time was very, as I have said already, influential and great in the, in the eyes of man. Great wealth, great industry. In fact, they were so wealthy that history says this, in 60 AD there was a great earthquake. And this earthquake leveled the, the area known as Laodicea. When the Romans came and they offered to help them financially, the pride and the arrogance of the Laodiceans who placed all of their trust as we see even the church did in worldly riches, they said, no thanks Rome, we don't want any of your help. We as Laodiceans will take care of this ourselves. We have plenty. And they actually rebuilt their city on their own. 
as I have mentioned it being a center of trade, one of the important textiles that they were responsible for was black wool, a very sought-after fabric, right? And people from all over the known world would seek that black wool. It is believed that that black wool, wool would have been dyed that black color through the various minerals that were there in Laodicea. So they were famous for these things that other people couldn't produce. There's some significance to that, that black wool representing the opposite of the white garments that Christ is going to speak of in a moment. The black would then represent sin. The white would represent righteousness. They were a center of banking and finance. Great wealth was stored there. In fact, much of the Roman Empire would store their wealth in Laodicea so that it would be safe. And so they were a rich place as described here in this book when Christ said, you say that you're rich, but you're really poor. Oh, they were rich as the world measures richness. But Christ is going to say something significantly different. They were a center not only of the black wool and riches in finance, but also a center of medicine. Very interesting that there was an eye salve that was made in Laodicea. And that eye salve would be distributed all throughout the world. It was important to have this eye salve because back in those days, people didn't have the luxuries that we have in our time. They, they didn't put on their nice pair of Ray-Bans or their Oakley sunglasses, or if you're smart, your Walmart sunglasses because you know you're going to lose them. They didn't put these things on as they went out into the sunlight, as they went out into the desert and into the wilderness. They didn't have that option. So many of these people would be plagued with blindness from the sun or with cataracts. And the salve that was produced there in Laodicea would bring relief to their injured eyes. And so there was some importance to what Christ says when he talks about that eye salve. There's some importance when he talks about Pure gold refined in his fire. There's some importance when he talks about garments white instead of garments black. But Laodicea had a drawback, and that drawback was this. Of all the things that they did have, they had no good water supply. They actually had to pipe water in from several miles away, which by the time that it reached the inhabitants of Laodicea, it was warm. And due to the particular minerals that it would travel through in the water column, it began to smell bad and taste bad. Have you ever been somewhere where the water table, table was in the midst of some type of sulfur and you would drink it? And it had that awful smell and that awful taste? Now to see it was this way, but on top of that, it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot as the streams that flowed from the hot springs of Hierapolis there to the north of them. And it wasn't refreshingly cold as the streams and brooks that flowed in Colossae to the south of them. It was simply lukewarm and foul-tasting. Well, you can already see as we look at this text that these illustrations that Christ has included to Laodicea communicate very clearly some things that the Laodiceans ought to be familiar with. But what I want us to do is I want us to take this text today. I want us to see what caused this church to become lukewarm. What caused them to be neither cold nor hot? What caused them 
to have Jesus Christ himself say, if you don't repent, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. And we look at these things, not just from a historical vantage point, though that is important. We look at these things so that we can apply them into our lives so that we as individuals never settle for being lukewarm. Because as goes the individual, so goes the whole of the church. If I, as your pastor, settled for lukewarm, I would make lukewarm disciples who are really no disciples at all. And you would in turn make more lukewarm disciples who are really not believers at all. And then before you knew it, within a generation, just as we see here at Laodicea, you have a church full of unbelievers, which is no church at all. And so we learn our lessons today from Laodicea. The first thing that we see about them, the first danger that we need to be aware of, is that they were indifferent concerning Christ. Verse 15 makes this very clear, their indifference regarding the Savior. Verse 15 says just this. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. They are neither hot nor cold. What was he saying to this church? He's saying, you are indifferent. You are forsaking the fervor of the Lord. You are neither hot nor cold. You are a mixture, a blending of the world and the church, which is no church at all. They're only pretenders, pretending to be Christian, going through the motions without the fire of the Holy Spirit, without His fervor in their lives. These folks here at Laodicea, as many of you could potentially be today, they were Christian in name and title only. With no true devotion for Christ or to Christ that was expressed in their lives and in their service and obedience to Him. Oh, they would all tell you, we're Christians. Because we go to the church of Laodicea. We're going to see something very interesting in just a moment. Everybody went to that church except Christ. They were indifferent, forsaking true spiritual fervor, just going through the motion. What a sad, sad state of affairs that we see here in our own day, in our own church culture. When someone is on fire for the Lord, which I know, it's a rarity in our churches, isn't it? Oh, we look at that person as if they're some kind of Loch Ness monster or unicorn or they're the Sasquatch, right? We say things like this, man, he's on fire for the Lord. He needs to calm down a little bit, but he's on fire. What a sad state of affairs we are in. And it's not accepted in the church to be on fire for Christ, the one who baptizes with fire. This church found themselves indifferent concerning Christ, forsaking spiritual fervor, spiritual fire, just going through the motions. Did you know the true believer who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit will be indwelt with fire and passion? There'll be some small flames. There'll be some medium-sized flames. There'll be some large flames. There'll be some bonfires for Christ. Make me a bonfire for Christ. That ought to be our prayer. 
There'll be all of those, but a true believer, there will be fire, fervency in their life. They will be on fire for the things of God, for the house of God, for the word of God, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be on fire for those things. In fact, Romans chapter 12, Paul gives a command to the church. He says this in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Never. I can't ever. No, no, never. Never be lacking in zeal. Watch what he says, but keep your spiritual fervor. That word is fire. Keep your spiritual fire. Kindle that flame through your prayer, through the study of the word, through your fellowship with other believers as you encourage and spur one another along to faith and good deeds. He says, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. That's the direction that you need to be pointed. You're on fire to serve the Lord. Laodiceans had forgotten this completely. Indifferent concerning Christ. No true church at all. Not only as we look at their indifference do we see that they were forsaking the fervor of the Lord, they were forgetting what they had been taught. As I already told you, Paul was a strong influence and the associates of Paul, strong influences on this church at one time. But we know at one time they received sound instruction. In fact, Colossians chapter 4 speaks of Laodicea. It speaks again, as we talked about earlier, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you? And a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, there were known brothers at Laodicea. We're going to see in a moment that Christ asked for one who will believe? One who will truly trust in him. One who he can fellowship with. After this letter has been read to you, it says in verse 16 of Colossians 4, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Very important things because we see in that that at one time Laodicea had received sound teaching. They were seen as brothers and sisters in Christ, but oh, how they have in just a generation fallen into lukewarmness. Isn't that how it works? The slow mixture of coldness and unbelief infiltrates the church. We accept it. We embrace it. That's what all the woke churches are doing right now. Pay attention. We embrace it. We accept it. Right, The seeker-sensitive movement. Bring all the lost people in and let's cater to them. Before you know it, Coldness mixed with what was once fire becomes lukewarm. And the church then has no spiritual fervor at all. This is what was happening to the Laodiceans, forgetting what they had been taught. Oh, church, may we never forget the things that we have been taught from the Word of God. May we never think that we are above the things that we see in the Word of God. So they were indifferent concerning Christ, forsaking the fervor of the Lord, forgetting what they had been taught facing complete reprobation. You say, what? Those are strong words. Yeah, those are strong words, aren't they? Look at verse 16 with me again, if you would. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know what the Lord said to the church at Laodicea? You're disgusting to me. Well, I pray that we never hear those, those words here. 
Not one individual in this congregation. I pray that you never hear those words. You are disgusting to me because you're phony and you're playing games. and You're going through all the motions, but there's no real Christianity in you at all. Because this is a statement of God's judgment upon this so-called church in Laodicea if they did not repent. He was going to give them over to their indifference. Why is indifference so dangerous? Because indifference is the first step to reprobation. You don't believe me? You ask the Romans. Paul taught them in Romans chapter 1. And in just three verses, 24, 25, and 26, we see three times this statement. God gave them over. God gave them over. And then again, God gave them over. Proving to us that God is just as sovereign in His reprobation as He is in His salvation. Jesus is warning this church, I am about to give you completely over. The sin of indifference had become so prevalent that Jesus reveals complete disgust. They were indifferent to Christ and didn't even know it. When someone's indifferent to Christ or the things of Christ, they could be on the verge, literally, of apostasy, being spewed from the mouth of Christ. Please hear me, church, because many of you are indifferent to Christ. You come in, we sing the doxology, and there are many of us who sing the doxology with passion and power and zeal from within because the Spirit stirs us to sing. We're not worried about hitting the right note. We're focused on the Savior who gave Himself for us. Some are too prideful in their indifference to even sing. I know your heart. I know your attitude. So does he. I don't sing. But did you know you're blatantly in disobedience to a command of the Lord to where we are to sing to Him? We are to shout to Him. We are to clap our hands and to lift our hands to Him. Are you, do you know that you are in direct obedience to Christ? You say, well, I don't want anyone to hear me. You're prideful. You're arrogant. Who cares if anyone else is hearing you sing to your king? Your king desires that you sing to Him. He'll work all the bad notes out. But isn't it true? Many have embraced indifference. Well, I'm a tough guy. Tough guys don't sing. That good news for you, God breaks tough guys. He brings them to their knees in tears. And they weep and they wail and they mourn over their sin. And then they rise to sing praises to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is a real man, my friend. Many have accepted indifference just as the Laodiceans had. Not only were they plagued with indifference, it gets worse. They had now become independent of Christ. And that's the second error here at Laodicea. They were independent of Christ. They were doing their own thing. Verse 17 reveals this for us as we read along in that text. He's, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. Watch what he says that the Laodiceans are saying in their heart. And do not need a thing. Oh, you got it all together, Laodiceans. You think. American church, you got it all together. Living the American dream, right? You've got houses and houses for your cars. And vacation homes. You, you got it made in a big 401k. And all of your faith is in that stuff. 
all that stuff is just temporal. It's fleeting. You say you're rich. You've acquired wealth. You don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Do you see what they thought about themselves was in complete opposition to what Christ said is true? All of you men who are working yourself to the bone so that you can have more things. You're putting your faith and trust in those things. Those things will burn with fire. Be aware of that. Well, there are many people who will not tell you the truth in regard to that for fear that you won't be their friend. I hope we can still be friends. But I determined in my heart long ago that if I love someone enough, I'll love them enough to tell them the truth. Because we are sliding down this slippery slope, aren't we? Laodiceans, they thought they had it all figured out. That's called self-sufficiency. They were self-sufficient. When we're self-sufficient, we're independent of Christ, and we don't need a thing. They're trusting in their own ability, their own stockpiles, their own earthly riches. Did not the Lord warn Israel about this? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Let's look at that. Flip over there in your Bible. The Lord is about to bring His people out of the wilderness into the promised land, just as He has promised. And He says this to them. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods, all of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig. He said, when I take you into this land that you did nothing to get, nothing to have, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, watch what he says in verse 12, church. After I've done all these things for you, and then you take it for granted. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Unfortunately, Israel didn't listen, and even to this day, they're still not listening to the one true God. But neither had the church here at Laodicea. They were doing the same thing. Many churches in America doing the same thing. Many individual Believers by name in this room doing the same thing. We must be very careful. Because when we are self-sufficient, what we really says, say is that we don't need Christ. And the man that thinks that he has no need for Christ is a man who greatly needs Christ. Laodicea had forgotten this. Self-sufficient, but not only were they self-sufficient in their independency from Christ, they were also self-righteous. Oh, what a danger. Seeking to be justified by their fleshly religion. Satisfied with outward Christianity and religion. Going through the motions, but void of true intimacy with Christ. Many of us find ourselves there, don't we? Oh, this morning it ought to thrill our souls to get to join with other believers and intimately fellowship with Christ. Oh, if you don't desire to participate in intimate fellowship with Christ, you know not of Christ. 
Please hear this today. If you would rather be of this world and have all the things of this world as the Laodiceans did, instead of an intimate relationship with your Creator through the blood sacrifice of His Son, you have missed the whole point of Christianity. You are self-righteous, going through the motions, seeking to be justified by your fleshly religion, or even worse, seeking to be justified by your fleshly works. What are your fleshly works? My decision. My obedience. My church membership. My Baptism. Many people hold on to those things as if those things could somehow justify a person. The Laodiceans said, we have no need of anything. All the while, they don't have true justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and they don't even know what they're missing. No intimacy with their Creator. They don't even know that they don't have it. We're self-righteous seeking somehow to be justified by the things that they do. Just as the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. Jesus gave them some woes, some warnings there in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you Pharisees in verse 25. You teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but in the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside, the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's what Jesus says to those who are self-righteous. That you look like one thing, but you're completely another. Trying to be justified by your own deeds of self-righteousness. Galatians 2.16 says this. It says, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You won't be justified on your own, by your own works, your own good deeds, your own obedience. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, in case you don't believe that is a doctrine of Scripture, he says this, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. He says it's about faith in Christ. The Laodiceans had forsaken this. They were about faith in themselves. Looking good on the outside. Oh, we can all learn to play the part, can't we? To speak the language. To fool everyone around us. But you won't fool the... Amen, the faithful and the true. They were self-righteous, trusting in their own works. Galatians 5, 4 says this, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. This is not a message to say you'll lose salvation. It is saying this, you have replaced grace with works. And Christ came to offer you Grace, and you were reverting back to a system of works. That's what the Laodiceans had done. That's why Christ was not in their midst. He was outside of that church. They didn't need him. They were self-sufficient and self-righteous. Also, they were self-deceived. Isn't it dangerous to think that you're something when you're really not what you think that you are? 
were lukewarm. They were in grave danger. Christ is getting their attention. And the reason that they were in this condition is because they had been deceived. They were deceived by themselves. Please listen to me, men. The inner sinful man can deceive you. Don't listen to your hearts as the world tells you. Your heart is desperately wicked. Well, follow your hearts. Follow the Word of God. Follow the Holy Spirit who lives in you. But definitely don't follow your wicked hearts. This church had found themselves doing just that, self-deceived. Deceived by themselves, inwardly. Well, this is the exact way that Paul told Timothy that it was going to go. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this in verse 1. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Why would he say have nothing to do with them? Because lukewarm idleness is contagious. To have nothing to do with them. Don't be deceived by them. These people are blinded. They're blinded by their sin. Just as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us, if you don't believe that we're blinded, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He has no understanding. He's spiritually blind. The Laodiceans were blinded by their sin, just as the American church is. Not only that, they were blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, that the God of this age, verse 4, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Oh, how sad is that? Many in the so-called church are blinded by Satan. Jesus is not writing to some civic organization here. He's not writing to some club, some secret society. It's not a church. He's writing to a place that once was a vibrant church. He's letting them know this. You're deceived by sin and by Satan. Not only that, you're not blinded only by those things. You're blinded also by a false sense of security. You think that you are something that you are not. American church, please listen to that. They think that they are something that they're not. Here in America, we just build a building and stick a cross on the outside and call it a church. And Christ is not even there. And no one even knows that. Isn't that sad? They didn't even know that. We're doing everything independent of Christ. But he gives them some interesting things to think about. He commends them or encourages them to find their real value in the riches of Christ. That's true faith in Christ. He encourages them to buy gold refined in his fire. Don't, don't place your trust in worldly wealth. Don't, don't store your, your treasures here on this earth, but store your treasures in heaven. He encourages them by another familiar term here and another familiar ideology using the example of white garments. He said in 18, I counsel you to buy fire for me, to buy gold for me refined in the fire so you can become rich, real wealth. 
and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. They were familiar with the black clothes of sin. He said, receive from me pure white clothes. What an amazing thing. When we see that in Scripture, we see that that is those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And for all eternity, we will be clothed in the imputed righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as we sung about a moment ago. And some of you sang that. And you weren't even thrilled about it. Why would you not be thrilled about that? To know that my sins were once like scarlet. You say, well, well scarlet is red. No, scarlet was as black as things could be. That was as dark as they could dye it. That red dye would be so dark that it looked black. But in Christ, they have been made whiter than snow. Laodiceans putting their trust in the dark garments of sin. And Christ says, I encourage you to wear my white garments, to be clothed in righteousness. The exact opposite of what they were. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I told you they were spiritually blind. He says, salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. The balm of Gilead. He says, I will apply into your life healing to your spiritual eyes so that you can see the things of God. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. This church was independent of Christ. They were indifferent to Christ. And thirdly, we're going to see something very sad here as we begin to wrap this up. They were isolated from Christ, proving that this was no church at all. Look in verse 20. He says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is not like people have tried to make this in the past to stir your emotions. Jesus is today at your heart's door knocking on it. It's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about something very disturbing. This church called themselves Christians. But Christ was on the outside of that church. What a disturbing thing. I want you to stop and to think about that for a moment. Does that not trouble you? Christ was on the outside of this so-called church, proving that it was no church at all. Any group of people to which Christ is not the center of everything that they do, but he is on the outside of everything that they do, that group of people is not a church. They're just a group of people doing good things. They might as well be the Moose Lodge or whatever it is that you want to be a part of. They're not a church. The church will always have the head at the center. Why do you do the things that you do, Kirk Hall at Key Life Fellowship? Christ! Why do you preach every week, twice a week, Christ? Why do you teach the children down the hall, Christ? Why do you pour into the lives and the families in the church, Christ? This is what our Savior has commanded us to do. They ought to see it was different. They were isolated from Christ. Didn't even know it. They have excluded him. Doing their own 
thing, playing church. Are you playing church today? Those who play church today apostatize tomorrow. Are you playing church today? It's a valid question. It's what he's showing the Laodiceans that they're doing. Lukewarm. We can draw some conclusions from this that he says in verse 20. He says, I'm here and I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. I'm on the outside. You're on the inside. You know, some churches are okay with that. Laodiceans, they were okay with that. We can tell that they were isolated from Christ by their attitude. We don't need a thing. We don't need intimacy with Christ. We don't need the word of Christ. We don't need conviction from the Holy Spirit. We don't need life change. We don't need to confess. We don't need to repent. We don't need to obediently serve. We just need to go through the motions. We need to check off boxes. That's what we need to do. Isn't that what the lukewarm believer does? Some of you this morning, you came to check off a box. Congratulations. You came to church. Check the box. But when you stand before God, you won't stand before God righteous because you've checked off boxes. You will stand before God the Father righteous only because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You can see by the attitude of this church, we need nothing. We're fine. Check all our boxes. Everything's okay. May we not fall into that rut of just checking boxes, isolating Christ from our lives. This church had worldly blessings. They had money in the bank. Everything was seemingly okay, as all of you do. You know, the rest of the world would love to have the things that you have that you gripe about that you don't have enough of. Well, I've been to third world countries. You know what they think about us? We're all rich. This was Laodicea. We got everything we need because we have the things of this world. Money in the bank, food in the pantry. Got a job, got a car, got a house. They had nothing. They had isolated themselves from Christ. They were content with lukewarm religion. There's no Christianity at all. You're not going to find that acceptable in biblical Christianity anywhere in the New Testament. I have spent my life looking for it. It's not there. You could tell by their attitude that they had isolated themselves from Christ. We don't need him. We don't need anything. But also the absence of Christ. He wasn't there. He wasn't walking in their midst as we see him walking in the midst of other churches. Other churches that he addressed in Asia Minor. He was walking in their midst. He's not walking in the midst of this church. He's on the outside looking in. He has no communion, no fellowship with them. He's absent. He's absent because they desired no intimate fellowship with him. You know, it's a sad day when the presence of Christ could leave a church and most people would never even know it. It's a sad day that the presence of Christ could leave your life and then you would never even know it. This church had no clue. May it never be so with any of you. May you long for intimacy with Christ. May you spend time in prayer. May you spend time in His Word receiving thoughts and instructions from Him. This so-called church at Laodicea didn't even miss Him. 
Would you miss him today? I want you to ask yourself that question, ma'am, sir. Would you miss him today, or is he just another box that you check, another thing that you do? Would you miss Christ today? Well, I can think of no more misery that I could ever face in this earth with one second without Christ. Because one second without Christ, I would have nothing but Kirk. I know what Kirk gets me. Wrath and judgment. I'm an abomination to God in and of myself. He was absent from this church. What a sad testimony. Proving they were isolated from Christ. And we see this, thirdly. So we look at their isolation. We see his appeal, the appeal of Christ. What a mer- merciful, gracious appeal. These people who did not even miss Christ. Some of you today, you're indifferent, you don't care. How sad that is. You don't care about the one who created you, who willed you into existence, who loved you with a love you can't even comprehend. What a sad state of affairs we're in when we're indifferent to that Jesus who died on the cross in the place of the most vile and wicked people such as I. How could we be indifferent toward him? But then we see his appeal here, and I want you to see this. He says, I'll spare the whole church. Just give me one believer. Just give me one. Pay attention to the way that it's spoken. He says this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone, singular, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Oh, see the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, is there not just one here who I can show grace and mercy to? Is there not one there who belongs to me? Oh, isn't this reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18? You remember the story. Conversation between God and Abraham. Would you spare them? If there were 50, yeah, I would do that, Abraham. How about 45? It's going to be hard to find 45. How about 40, Lord? Would you give them mercy for 40? How about 30? How about 20? You know how the story goes. How about 10? There weren't even 10. But God in his grace and his mercy still saved many. A remnant for his namesake, Abraham and his people. Here at Laodicea. He's on the outside. Is there just one? Is there just one lukewarm person here today? Just one? Who will hear his voice? The voice of your master? That's what he's saying. Is there not one who can hear me? Why is that important? His sheep hear his voice. He's saying to the Laodiceans, a lost so-called church, Is there no real sheep here? The sheep who hear my voice and do what I say. Isn't that what John chapter 10 says about his sheep? Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. To the Pharisees, he says. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Oh, the appeal of Christ here. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. But before I do, American church, is there just one? Is there just one? Laodicea, is there just one who will surrender? Who is mine? Is there one who will be saved? Is there just one who truly belongs to me? Is there just one that I can rescue? Is there just one that I can reward with eternal life, eternal blessings? Is there one who I can commune with? I can fellowship with, not only in this life, but for all eternity. Is there not just one who desires intimacy, who desires restoration, who desires redemption, who desires forgiveness, eternal life? He finishes this out as he does most of these things. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here we are some 2,000 years ago. The Spirit's still speaking. Will we hear? Will we hear what He says? Not just to the church of Laodicea. Will we hear what He says to us today through the message to the church at Laodicea? If you're here today and you're lukewarm, I'm going to be honest with you, my friend. You've got one or two problems. My prayer for you is this, that you would resolve that today. you got one of two problems. Problem number one is this, that you are a believer, but you are stagnant in your true Christian walk. You're just going through the motions. We all have found ourselves doing that from time to time, haven't we, church? But a true Christian cannot be content with that. We cannot live there. We cannot accept that. We must run to the feet of Jesus Christ. We must bow down and we must plead with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, light the fire in me that once burned so brightly. And to trust that he will because a Christian is going to do that. They're going to return to that place of brokenness. They're going to return to the cross where they find hope. They're going to depend on Christ. Perhaps you're here today and you're a Christian. but You're lukewarm. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the first note of the first of the last song so you can get out of your seat? If you're a Christian today and you are lukewarm, you cannot stand it. What are you waiting for? The altars are open. Your seats are there. Kneel before a holy God and confess that you are lukewarm and you need that fire to be rekindled in your life. Get on your face. Perhaps you're that other group. You're that other group who says, you know what, I'm indifferent to Christ completely. I don't really care. You've never given one thought to it. What eternity has for you? The fact that you will spend eternity in hell under the wrath of God does not concern you. The fact that you will miss out on an intimate relationship with your Creator who sent His Son to rescue you. Well, perhaps you're that second group. You're not a true believer. My prayer for you is this, that today God would grace you with real brokenness. That His Spirit would really draw you from that place of 
deepest darkness as he once did me. And that he would save your wretched soul. That you would see him as your Lord and Savior and that you would cry out to him as your only hope of salvation today. Calling on his name today that you would be saved and that he would heal you from your indifference toward Christ. May we all receive the warnings that we see issued for this apostate, phony church. May we never settle for being a lukewarm, phony church. It begins with each of you. It begins with me. The individual examining and working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Where do you stand? I pray today that before you leave, you stand with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask now that your people would yield to your spirit. That those who are here, who know you as Lord and Savior, would be honest with themselves today. That they would confess that they are lacking spiritual fervor and fire for the Lord. Lord, I also pray for those who are here today who they are yours, but they do not know it yet. God, I pray that you would graciously open their eyes to see the truth. That they would see their sin. And they would see the Savior. And they would turn from their sin through the power of your Holy Spirit turn to Christ, be forever changed for your glory and for your honor. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.